Church, good morning. Most of the time I'm telling the youth, put your phones away, but I have to have it because we've got several announcements and I don't want to miss one. Uh, back here in the back, we've got uh, a ticket booth for multiple things. Daddy-daughter dance will be coming up here very, very quickly. Um, that's always an exciting event. The Sweetheart Banquet and Fresh Grounded Faith. So all those tickets after the service is over, or if you have to go back during the service, I guess, someone will be back there and they can get you those tickets. Also, too, we will have sign-ups for Pathways, um, which we've done the last two Sundays, kind of went through. And so what a great opportunity to jump in and start getting plugged in. What's the next step? That'll be this Tuesday night, and you can sign up for that as well. Hey, we are glad you're here. No wind, no rain, no snow. It's not cold enough to keep you outside of God's house. Let's worship. Good morning, church. Stand up on your feet and worship together. Talked to y'all this song a couple weeks ago. Let's out together. Let praise be a weapon that silences the enemy. Let praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety. Yeah. 
You're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let. You're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let. You're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let. You're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let. You're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let. You're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let. You're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let. You're never gonna let me down. when I was coaching, you can have a seat. When I was coaching, I often asked the students, um, the young adults, hey, how's your head? How's your heart? And how's your legs? It was a weekly, bi-weekly, just check for me to, to see about the person, not necessarily the athlete. And that maybe it was just instinct, but the athletes would always go to the legs, the physical, man, I'm running really good, or I'm not running so good, or I'm getting stronger, or... Uh, you know, I'm starting to feel sick, but then they would always go to their mind, their head. How's your head? Man, I'm stressed out. I found out about this. I found out about that. I got this test. I got this job or I didn't get this job or whatever the case may be. But the thing that I was really, really focused on, and maybe this was the ministry outside of being ministry, was the heart. Okay, that, that's good. I'm glad you're running fast. I'm glad you passed that test. I'm glad that we're handling the stress. What about your heart? And a lot of times, especially for the freshmen, the people who didn't really know me, they're like, oh, what's the heart? Like, I mean, it's, it's ticking, it's beating, so I guess that's good. And we would have a conversation. No, no, no. Like, how are you? Scripture says if you want to know someone, truly know someone, search their heart. And maybe I'm saying more than I'm supposed to. But first thing this morning, Dave's like, man, this is either going to go really, really good or really, really bad. And I love when he says that because I know as a family, as a group of believers, we are going to be challenged. Where some of the stuff we're going to shake our heads, like, oh man, because we know it affects our hearts. It affects us. And some of us, we were going to be on the edge of our seats like, man, that's what I needed. That's exactly what we needed to hear as a church because that's going to affect the heart. So as we go in this time of communion, 
Can I ask you, how's your heart? Are we focused? Are we dialed in? Are we obedient? Are we following? Are we pursuing? Or are the distractions out there getting the best of us? Are we so focused on the physical and the mental that the heart is being completely lost? May we give that, may we offer that as our commitment to Jesus as we go in this time of communion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, take our hearts, take our minds, take our bodies, take our tithes and offerings, take every single thing we have to offer. We have breath in our lungs. That belongs to you as well. Use this time to mold us, to shape us, to convict us of who we are and who we're supposed to be. And with that same breath in our life, in our lungs, may we pursue, may we change, may we alter who we are to better follow, to better serve, but more importantly, to better know your son. All these things we ask in your name, we pray. Amen.
figure some things out and we need your help and so we ask 
In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm so glad you guys are here today. And whether you're here in person uh, worshiping with us online, I just love that every week. And love that opportunity to have people with us and, and seeing what God's going to do. And, and I, I'm just going to be completely honest. Uh, I need your prayers uh, for the next, well, I need your prayers all the time, but I really need them for the next month. I need them today uh, because I believe that what we are going to dig into today and for the next four weeks could be the most important and time-sensitive thing we may have ever talked about. And so I'm just going to ask you to hang in there and, and pray. Because here's kind of a description of the world that we find ourselves living in. You see, if I, if I walk over here and if I pull this out of my bag... And I hang that right there. Some of you have got some feelings going on right now. One way or another, you got some feelings going on right now. And, and here's what I want to tell you. They're all fine. Your personal feelings are all fine. Now, I also want to know, let you know that uh, if I come over here and do this, some others of you got some feelings. Some of you that had feelings about that now have some feelings about that. That's where we may have some conflict. Now, after yesterday, we probably would all be satisfied just to do this and, and leave it. But that creates a problem, doesn't it? What if all things are good and these are going well and we've all got our red or our blue and, and I know not all of you are native and so some of you have some other weird colored things in there but I know that for us that's what the majority of us are going to pick one of those and what if we get together <clears throat> for the big game and who are we going to typically get together with well if this is where we're going to go we we want everybody in the room wearing this right that's what we would prefer Excuse me, but if but if this is it, we want everybody kind of in the room wearing this, and we cheer and we have a great time, and it's a wonderful day. No matter who you know, from one side or the other, it's going to be a wonderful day. And at the end of the day, guess what? It really doesn't matter who wins. But anyway, it's still a wonderful day uh, and all that. But here's where it gets weird. Okay, what if on Monday after Saturday, it's the beginning of a political season? And people start putting signs in their front yard. And what if the person living next to you that you were here for this party with on Saturday, they put a sign in their front yard just like you do because you both have the right to do that. That's part of that. There's nothing wrong with putting a sign regardless of who it is or what it is in your, but what if what if the, the people that you were here with on Saturday, what if they put a sign in their yard on Monday that's different than the sign in your yard? Or here's where it gets really weird. What if those that you wouldn't let into your party on Saturday because they had on the wrong color, 
What if on Monday they put a sign in their front yard that agrees with you 100% politically? Is there a point when your enemy becomes your ally or your ally becomes your enemy? See, I, I'll be honest. I have some very strong opinions on this. All right. But I have some very dear friends who don't share the same opinion. I have some very strong political opinions. And I have some friends that are very dear to me that don't share the same political opinion. How do we interact with those people? What happens when our allies become our enemies and we allow our, uh, or, or we allow our allies to become our enemies or our enemies become our allies? Let's go a little bit further up because this is this kind of stuff. This is really like it. Can we just be real? No matter how into sports you are, this is kind of the lowest level of anything that matters, right? Really? And then if we say, okay, political issues, maybe they're a little bit higher. What if we go beyond the personal political issues? What if we think about this democratic nation that we live in, this democracy that we live in, that we love, and that we, if we, no matter how you're feeling right now, if you can't see that it's still one of the best things on the planet, then you're missing something. But what if there's this, this democracy that we live in, but there are people that live in countries today that are still communist? As, as a whole, we might feel that democracy is better than communism. But how do we feel about those people that live in a communist nation? A little over 10 years ago, I met a young lady named Marsha on a mission trip to a communist nation that I pray for on a pretty regular basis because I don't know because some weird stuff happened in that country after I was there. And I really don't even know if she's okay. But she lives in a communist nation. We're supposed to be enemies, right? Isn't that what the world tells us? But what about the individuals? Or, or, or if we say that as a whole, as a whole, most of us here, most of us, we're a Christian nation. How, how do we feel about a Muslim nation? But maybe more importantly, how do we feel about a Muslim? An individual. That is, that's where they are. See, we've all got... We've all got this framework of understanding life. We've all got this framework of understanding life. And we all have very strong opinions. And and most of those opinions, okay, that's your opinion, fine. But what we need to figure out is how do we respond to people whose opinion is not the same as ours? How do we respond when we're in disagreement? How do we figure those things out? Can we be real? It happens in here too, right? It's happening all over the world in churches today. I mean, uh, how do you feel about people who do or don't wear masks all the time? How do you feel about people who do or don't wear jeans to church, even the preacher? How do you feel about people who do... Or don't like the same worship music that you do? How do you feel about people who do or don't use the same translation of the Bible? I mean, we label ourselves. Are you a KJV or NIV or NASB or NLT or ESV? Or which one of those are you? 
How do you feel about others that don't have... How do you feel about people who do or don't have tattoos? How do you feel about people who do or don't have the same color skin or social economic standing? Okay, I should have sufficiently ticked everybody off in the room by now. Or maybe, maybe, just maybe, God wants to help us to see that we're all messed up. One of the things I'm seeing all the time now on on social media, on various forms of social media, is people on either side of an equation, either side of a a situation, whether it be racial or social economic or pandemic or political. I see people posting things like this. If you don't believe this and what they're telling you what they believe, then you're part of the problem. That you're part of the problem is probably the greatest tagline that I'm seeing now. Guess what? We're all part of the problem. Because God told us we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We're all part of the problem in our world. And we all, we all have opinions. But can we agree on one thing? Our world is out of control. Our country is evolving into the divided states of America. So so what's the church supposed to do? Where are we supposed to land on all of this? Many want the church to remain totally silent and just avoid the fray. Others want the church to jump in both feet and get right in the middle of the fray. What would it look like if we agreed that neither one of those approaches is probably anywhere near the heart of God? Because the heart of God would say there are some things that you have to hold true. There are some opinions you have to have. But they'll know we are Christians by our love. I really just I'm just being as real and as honest as I'm, I've really been wrestling with how to say things that need to be said and feel confident that there'll be people sitting here next week. I I went away this week, um, partially to spend some time with family, but I just needed to get out of town and, and, and just wrestle with words. One of the things I did on Tuesday this week was, and this will tell you a little bit about where I was, I went south of here, and and I went up on top of a mountain. I went up on top of a mountain that supposedly, if I knew exactly what I was looking for, from this one spot on this mountain, I could look and see seven different states from that spot on the mountain. I could look one direction and see Kentucky, another direction and see Tennessee, another direction and see Georgia. I could see Virginia. I could see South Carolina, North Carolina. I could see Alabama. Guess what? I got up there. I couldn't pick any of them out, except I felt fairly confident since I was in Georgia that I could see Georgia. And that since I was right above Chattanooga, I could pick out Tennessee. But other than that, I really didn't know. But that's what the sign said, is that when you get up here, you can see all these different things. And it began to make me think, what? What would God's view look like? Because we get so caught up in our views and our opinions and our beliefs and our desires. And, and for me, I just needed to kind of get above the fray a little bit and clear my head and think about some things. And it caused me to think, what, what's God looking at? And what would it be like if we could get all the way above the fray? Because you see, on these like 
Athletic teams, okay, yeah, we've got our opinions, great. Political issues and political candidates, yeah, we've got our opinions, great. You know, democracy, communism, we've got our opinions, great. Uh, you know, Christian, Muslim, we've got our opinions, and there's some that are very, very important there because that leads us to the up one, and at the very top of the whole thing is God, and everything under Him is subject to Him. What if we could see things the way He sees things? We're part of a group of churches around the world. It's not a denomination. In fact, it's kind of was born out of, uh, out of some things. But we're, we're part of a group of churches called the Restoration Movement. And it was born out of this time of division where hatred was boiling up over denominationalism. And, and, and people didn't like the way things were being divided because it wasn't really over just the Bible. It was over opinions. And, and so we became, or we were, churches like ours were born out of that. There were some early slogans in the restoration movement back in the late 1800s, mid to late 1800s. One of those slogans was, we're not the only Christians, we're Christians only. Huh. We've gotten away from that. Yeah, I remember as a kid growing up sometimes and hearing things being said that made me wonder if my Baptist friends had any chance of going to heaven. If my Catholic friends down the street had any chance of going to heaven. Sure doesn't sound like we're not the only Christians, does it? Another slogan during those early days of the restoration movement was, where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible's silent, we'll be silent. We'll be silent. Some of the things that we speak loudest about have nothing to do with the Bible. You don't believe that? You can get, you can go on my Facebook if you don't have one yourself. Go on my Facebook and, and look at the number of comments when I make a comment about anything other than scripture. And then look at ones when I just post a scripture. I've been doing this for about a month now and kind of been keeping score. Keep, I get far more comments when I post about athletics or anything other than scripture than when I just post a scripture. Now we, we want to be very vocal when it, doesn't have scripture at times another slogan was in essentials unity there's some things that we got to we got to hold on to they're essential that jesus is the son of god that he came to die for our sins that he rose from the dead just like he said he was going to do and he's gone back to be the father and if we believe in him we can spend eternity that's essential those are some things that are essential but we got to, the rest of the, the phrase said, in opinions, liberty. So it really doesn't matter if we wear jeans or suits or dresses or slacks. It doesn't matter if we sing hymns out of the hymnal or new songs that were just written yesterday off a screen. Those are opinions, and in those things we need to have liberty. But in all things we have love. In essentials, unity. In opinions, liberty. In all things, love. Our world. Our world has seemingly lost the ability to love. There's plenty, plenty of hate to go around. But, but that's not a new thing. You realize that, right? That's, that's not a new thing. In fact, if you've got your Bibles and you just want to, I'm not going to read this, but if you just want to scroll and look, and, and you start at the very beginning in Genesis 1, and, and just start scrolling and reading and, and see how long it takes hate to enter. Chapters 3 and 4. Sin comes in the world. 
and the first two brothers, hatred develops, and Cain kills his brother. Hatred's been there. The the Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews, and today Muslims hate Christians, and vice versa, and Democrats hate Republicans, and vice versa, and cards and cats, and you guys get the picture. It's there. So here's what I want to ask before we dig into actually today's message. That's all to frame up the next month. Here's what I want to ask. If you're watching online, I, I want to ask this of you too. I really do. I want to humbly ask that every person that is here or is tuned in, that you will make a commitment today to stick through this for the next four weeks. And then not only stick through it, that you'll invite other people to join you. Because it'd be really easy, and that's what kind of happens in our world today. As soon as somebody says something that I don't particularly agree with, I'm out. I'm out. I'm just begging you. Stick it out. I want to ask you to attend every service for the next four weeks. I want to ask you to invite friends, challenge people to watch online. And I humbly ask you to open open your heart and your mind to what God might be doing. Because you see... Hate is always circumstantial. There is always something that causes us to hate. It, 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 could be the, it could be the team we root for. It could be the political party or the candidate that we root it, it could be any number of things. It could be the color of our skin. It could be our social economic. Hate is always circumstantial, but God's love is unconditional. And that's the message that we have. And can I be completely honest? I've been guilty of not always acting and responding the way that I should in certain situations. So what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to try our best to figure out how to take some steps to take some steps toward toward separating ourselves from the current level of hate that's in the world. To separate church and hate. And what if we learn to behave with civility? To act with dignity and love. To demonstrate humility and to strive for unity. And so today we want to take step one. And, and let's talk about how do we behave with civility in a world that's full of hate. Yeah, the word civility is, uh, as adults, we kind of understand it. We don't use it a lot. We remember being in civics in high school or, and or college or middle school maybe even. But some people think civility means politeness. That we're, we're, we're told to use our manners and to, to put on a fake smile and everything's okay and everything's fine. But civility comes from the, word, from the Greek, uh, Latin word civis which literally means citizen. So civility is all about being a good and decent citizen. It's all about learning how to play in the sandbox together. It's all about learning how to get along in shared space. Civility is the ability to show respect and regard for others, even when we disagree. Civility is learning that our world doesn't revolve around us, and that we can disagree without being disagreeable. Civility does not mean staying away from tough issues. 
Civility does not mean never debate, never stand for the truth, or disagree with anyone. In fact, quite the opposite. It does, however, affect how you treat people, especially when you disagree. It changes what you say and how you say it and when you say it. Civility requires us to change, doesn't require us to change our position, but it probably does require us to soften our heart and our tone toward others. And it's really interesting. There's some really interesting words about this in your Bibles. If you've got a Bible now, open up to James chapter 1, because that's where we're going to land this morning. And there's some interesting things here in James chapter 1 that are written by the half-brother of Jesus. Now, James became a leader in the church of Jerusalem after the resurrection, after Pentecost, after it was born. But growing up, he wasn't a believer. In fact, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us that Jesus had to appear to James after his resurrection, a resurrection, at which point it was hard for James not to believe. And from that background, James moved forward to lead the church of Jerusalem until he too, just like his older brother Jesus, was martyred for his faith. But before he died, he wrote a letter that became part of the scripture. And I want you to listen what he says about civility. It starts in verse 19 of chapter 1. This is, G, this is James writing. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I want to read that to you out of the message, those same words. All right, You can still look at yours, but listen to how the message translates says it. It says, post this at all the intersections of life, dear friends. Lead with your ears, follow with your tongue, and let anger straggle along in the rear. Because God's righteousness does not grow from human anger. He tells us... One do and two don'ts. Be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Can we kind of all agree and consent that much of the world and quite possibly us have forgotten how to listen? I I mean, in fact, there's there's someone that still probably hasn't gotten over the fact that I got a U of L shirt on stage. And some probably haven't gotten over the fact that I've got this one on stage. Some people have probably quit listening as soon as I implied that maybe Republicans and Democrats were both children of God. We hear things like, and we just shut down. Instead of being quick to listen, we quit listening. Often we're too busy thinking about how we're going to respond. And we fail to listen. Somebody says just something that's a little bit, a little bit off of where we would land, a little bit off of where we'd be. Instead of listening to everything they say, we're immediately thinking about how am I going to respond to that? What's my comeback going to be? In fact, if we're on social media, we're already typing before we figure out what's really going on. The irony is that when there's conflict, you know what? Both sides want to be heard, but they don't want to listen. Think about it. I want you to be quick to listen to me. And you want me to be quick to listen to you. But that requires somebody going first. (laughs) When When I don't think you're listening to me, you know what I do? Come on, we all do it. 
when I don't, parents, we do it. We, we do it, right? When, when I don't think you're listening to me, what do I do? I start talking louder. And you know the crazy thing? It's just like, it's the same thing we do when we realize we're talking to someone who doesn't speak English. And somehow in our mind, we think if we just say it slower and louder, suddenly they will understand English. That's the absurdity of how many of us are living our lives instead of being quick to listen. We've got to learn to listen in the context of the other individual and to understand why they feel that way. To understand why they feel that way. That, that's, that's hard, I realize, when we've never been in that context. You see, when, when my kids were growing up and they got to 15, 16, I, I taught them how to drive. I brought them up here. <laughs> how many of you have taught your kids or grandkids how to drive up here in our parking lot? It's a wide open space. You really got to mess up to hit something on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday up here in the back parking lot. It's a great place to learn to drive. And I brought them up here and I taught them how to drive. I taught them how to parallel park. One of the things I, I even taught my kids was what to do if you're driving and suddenly the blue lights come on behind you. And they also knew early on the consequences of getting a DUI. But you know what? None of us, as I look around, none of us in here had to teach our kids was what happens if you get a DWB. In fact, some of you probably have no clue what I just said. But if you grow up in certain parts of our country and in certain situations and have a certain color of skin, you know exactly what a DWB is. See, we're blessed because in our community, I don't think people have to worry about that. In our community, we have got awesome law enforcement that, that really are working great. But there are places in our country where driving while black is a very real issue. And because we've never lived in that world, it's hard for us to understand that world. And we even think that people are crazy. And now I really ticked some people off probably, but that's okay because we've got to learn to listen. When was the last time you said to someone that you had a difference with, you not you're trying to prove your point, you just simply said, help me understand why you feel that way. Help me understand why you feel that way. See, we've got to learn to listen to people who don't experience the world in the same way we do. We've got to learn to listen to their story, to listen to their experiences, to listen to why they believe the way that they believe, probably never changing how we're going to believe, but just to be able to understand where they're coming from, to listen to people that are different than you. That's something I'm still working on. I'm working really hard. I've been involved in conversations just this week with some people that are coming at life from a totally different perspective than I am. And and, and the only thing I've been saying is, hey, let's get together for coffee because we can probably learn from each other. And and I want to hear what you know because you can teach me some things. And maybe I can help teach you some things. 
But I just want to understand. See, here's one of the biggest problems with social media. There are so many problems with social media. But here's one of the biggest problems with social media. Do you know how creative and how intelligent social media is? The algorithms, but it doesn't matter which one. I'm not picking on one or the other because they're all this way too. Whichever one you choose to get on, as soon as you start clicking on articles... It doesn't matter what you click on. It doesn't matter if it's an athletic article. It doesn't matter if it's a political article. It doesn't matter if it's something, a simple article. Whatever you click on, the algorithms of those social media platforms are set up that immediately you're going to start seeing more and more articles just like that article. Have any of you freaked out because you checked out something at Amazon or whatever and you were looking to buy something and all of a sudden you got back on your social media and that thing that you were looking to buy, that pair of socks, now all you see is articles about socks? It's because the algorithms are set up that way. So here's how that plays out. Whatever your beliefs are and you start clicking on one thing of that belief, now everything you're going to read is all about people who believe the exact same thing that you're going to believe. And that's all you believe is real. And we got to get outside of that. Enough to understand that we don't have to be twins to be brothers. See... This is not a persuasive argument trying to convince everyone to cheer for the same team or even the same political party. It's all about how we respond to people who cheer for the other team. So we got to start by being quick to listen. But then James said, after we're quick to listen, he said, also be slow to speak. It's really interesting. This is really interesting. The Greek language here is interesting because that phrase that it says slow to speak, it literally means be late to speak. Show up late to the discussion. Think of that person that takes a while to say something. Seinfeld would call him a pause talker. And it tends to drive us crazy doesn't it i mean that just freaks some of you out like do i need to go up there and hit him is the is the record needle stuck you know many times many times that person that is taking their time is they're shifting their ears and their mind into gear before their mouth i learned and continue to learn the hard way that not everything that passes through here needs to come out here because there's stuff i'll I'll be honest even when i'm preaching you know, I see, sometimes I think I need to preach facing the other way because sometimes when I'm standing up here preaching and I see things going on and there are thoughts going through my mind that aren't written down here anywhere and I got to be sure that I don't say those things that are passing through my mind. And that happens to every one of us every day. That there are things going on. Maybe it's why God gave us two ears and one mouth. So that we could be quick to listen and slow to speak because here's what happens. The moment I start speaking, I stop listening, which means I stop learning. Let me, let me share something with you that, that really is so obvious, but, but often we miss it. Just think about this. Stay with me here, all right? Everybody's behavior makes perfect sense to them. 
everybody's response makes perfect sense to them. Everybody's viewpoint makes perfect sense to them. Everybody's political affiliations and beliefs makes perfect sense to them. And and when you hear yourself say things like, I don't know why they would do that. I I don't know why they would think that. I don't know why they would believe that. What you've just done is you've made a confession is that there's something you don't understand. That's what you just said. Why would they do that? That means you don't understand whether, what if we tried to figure out and listen enough to understand at least why they feel that way and have a conversation, not a debate or an argument with someone who's not like us. Once again, this is not a persuasive argument trying to convince everyone to cheer for the same team, the same political party. It's all about how we respond to people who cheer for the different teams. You know, in marriage counseling, one of the tools they teach us when we're trained in marriage counseling is to teach people to to repeat what the other person said or what they think they said. We tell them to say things like, I I heard you say that these genes make me look fat. No, I said I'd love to buy you some new genes. But it's all about what we hear. And we need to become a student who is quick to listen. And slow to speak. But then James says this. He says, also be slow to get angry. Be slow to get angry. I told Kim the other day, I was working on this. I told her I was going to quote Taylor Swift and call this point, why you got to be so mad. She started laughing at me. She said, the song is why you got to be so mean. Just goes to prove I don't listen to Taylor Swift. But I thought I had heard something that I hadn't really heard. Seemed kind of appropriate for this message. Remember, anger, anger in and of itself is not a sin. Because here's what the warning from the Bible is. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says this. He says, in your anger. You know, stop with that phrase. In your anger. That's a statement. It's an assumption that anger is a feeling that is going to happen. It is going to happen. But what he said was, in your anger, do not sin. Because the feeling wasn't the problem. The response to it, the action was the problem. That when you get angry, just be sure that you pause and don't sin. Go back in our text here in James 1. Because what what James goes on to say after it says, be slow to get angry. He says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. See, we've got a message. It's the most important message. And when we lose anger, we lose, when we get angry, we lose the ability to share the most important message. And then James in in verse 21, 22 goes a little farther and says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent. And humbly accept the word that's planted in you, which can save you. (laughs) He says, no, get rid. He tells us a no here. He says, get rid of moral filth and evil. We get so angry over moral issues. And there's no doubt that there's plenty of those moral issues that we should get angry over. But we cross moral lines when we talk about the people that have those problems it's the issue it's the sin it's not the sinner that word evil is literally it's literally translated malice 
And, and what, here's what malice is all about. Malice is all about getting even and seeking revenge and always wanting to win the argument instead of looking at the bitter, bigger picture. But he says the yes there is humbly, humbly accept the word that is planted in you. See, James is writing to people who call themselves believers. And I, I hope, I would hope that the whole world could hear part of what we're talking about right now. But, but let me just be real and be honest that the, 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 the majority of these messages are directed to those of us who call ourselves Christ followers. Cause we've got to figure out how to act if we're ever going to share the most important message that there is to be shared. He, James is writing to people who call themselves believers and, and, and we are talking to believers and, and we shouldn't expect those who don't claim to be believers to act like believers. People that don't even believe that Jesus is the son of God are not going to act the way that Jesus taught. Now we want to teach them about him so they will begin that. But right now we've got to act as believers. And he says, but if that word has been planted in you, if you are there, and you know Jesus, are you willing to put your faith filter ahead of your political filter, ahead of your racial filter, ahead of your social economic filter, ahead of your pandemic filter? Is your faith filter number one? See, the struggle our country finds itself in is that most Americans... And go home today and wrestle with this in your own mind. Most Americans, I think, create a version of faith that supports our politics instead of the opposite. There's some huge, huge issues politically. And I've got some very strong personal opinions. But I'm working really, really hard on having those opinions about the issues, not the people that are on the other team, so to speak. Therefore, my intent, because I think there are some major issues, my intent, and I think God's intent, is not as much that we change affiliations, but that we just learn how to respond. See, here's, listen to me, political candidates win or lose based on elections. But the church of Jesus Christ wins or loses based on how we treat each other so i'll give you four questions and then i'm almost done these are questions for you to help you i hope behave civilly and have great conversations i want you to think about this is what i'm going to say true to the best of my knowledge is is what i'm about to say type is, is it true? Is it helpful? Because you know, there's sometimes, there's sometimes when the truth isn't really that helpful. Sometimes the truth is, yeah, you need a new pair of jeans. But the way we say it isn't helpful. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it personal? Have we really dug deep and now it's getting personal? Maybe the best question is, is what I'm going to say loving. Frederick Buchner wrote, although kindness is not the same thing as holiness, it's awful close. It's awful close. 
It's allowing ourselves to earn the right to be heard. Not rolling into a situation and just using our power, using our control, using our position. It's being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because all hate, all hate is circumstantial. But true love is unconditional. If we're ever going to achieve this separation of church and hate, we've got to understand that you can't share the love of Christ with hatred in your heart and a clenched fist. So that's why I'm more and more convinced each and every day that God wants us more than anything else to love God, to love people, and through us, He can change the world. God, I just pray that you will open our hearts and our minds. That you'll cause us to think. To stand firm in our convictions of things that we believe. But to act in love. Love conquers all. Your word is love. And your word became flesh and came and dwelt among us and died for our sins so that we could live forever. So God, we pray today that you'll be with us, that you'll be with our nation, that you'll be with the world. And that you'll allow us, each of us individually, to do our point, our part to point people to you all around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys stand? If possibly you've never made that decision to make Jesus Lord and you want to share that message, uh, Jason would love to talk to you about that, hook you up with some people that can talk to you about that. Maybe as we sing this song, we just need to have some some prayer. And I've been trying to encourage that more and more lately because I think it's what God's saying is that maybe during this decision song, rather than singing, rather than walking to the front, that more than anything else, some of us just need to pray and say, God, would you open my heart? Would you speak to my heart? Would you take me someplace that I've never been before? So why don't you let him do that right now?
Hey, don't forget the things that Bradley mentioned earlier, the, the tickets and the sign-ups for all that stuff's back there in that corner at the sign-up wall. If you're a guest here today, we're glad you're here. If it's your first time, uh, we've got a gift for you. Uh, there's a huge orange wall out in the lobby. A big white letter says, I'm new. Stop out there. Um, Brett's out there. I think Dawn's out there today as well. Uh, we'd love to give you a gift and get connected with you. Uh, thanks for being here. Let's love God, love people, and go change the world. See you next Sunday.